You're listening to another great show from the Nod Network. Find more great content at nerdod.com. This is Heroes Needed, the Overwatch Players Podcast. everyone and welcome back to heroes needed the overwatch players podcast i'm dave and i'm richard and we're back now with another episode with a number of topics that i will go through for you presently so we're going to talk a little bit this episode about the uh, the new endorsement system that we spoke about in a previous episode but in a bit more detail having now used it yep. and how that's going to do its best to try and keep the game fun yeah uh, we're going to talk about uh, widowmaker and the necessity of, of sort of widowmaker sniper jewels mm-hmm. uh, in competitive play at the yep. minute uh, and some league comments on that as well from there, we're going to move on to the Overwatch World Cup, because now the rosters have started to come out, and there's some excitement building there. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to touch a little bit on hero pool diversity and what that's like with players trying out different heroes and seeing which skills and abilities are kind of comparable between the different heroes. Yeah. Uh, and then at the end of that, we're going to finish up with a little bit of terminology covering the term poke, which you often hear, or poke damage, that you hear a lot of in the league and competitive play as well. Yeah, sounds good. So just starting off, I mean, we spoke before about the endorsement system, it being quite new, the looking for group feature, again, quite new. Um, but more now that we've tried it out and we've used it and what our kind of feelings are on it now, because one of the things that I've noticed is that I feel like it's making the game more fun. Definitely. And I, I feel that because there, the endorsements allow you to sort of give praise when you see something done well in the game. Mm-hmm. It allows you to get praise when you've done something, which just makes you feel yeah. nice. But what I found that I've enjoyed the most is being able to praise and endorse opposing players. So yeah. I had a game uh, just yesterday, in fact, where I was playing up against a, a, a Tracer player who was particularly good. They were, <laughs> they were very, very good. I think I was playing D.Va at the time. Sure. They were coming after me constantly, and my whole thing was battling off this Tracer. But I actually had... It was fun and not frustrating yeah. because I was actually battling against this player, trying to, to, to best them. And so when it came down to the end of the endorsements, the first thing I did was switch over to the opposing team and whack a, a, you know, a sportsmanship endorsement on them because I yeah. thought they're the kind of person I want to play against, not because they infuriate me because they're exploiting something, but because they understand the character and they're playing it well. Definitely. That's something that you look to find in matchmaking. That's something you look to find in enemy teams and other players that, that you come up against. You want people that keep you on your toes. You want people that are, that are a good enemy. You want them to, to kind of keep you uh, engaged with the game and not just roll through a point. If every game you played, you just won every single time, it'd be boring. Instead, having those players that do challenge you, that's, that's part of what makes any game fun. Definitely for the same for Overwatch. Yeah, yeah and that, that's definitely helped. And I think that I'm glad it's something that's rolled out. And I'm, uh, I just hope people really embrace it and, and use it a lot. I got a, I had a really cool experience uh, the other day, again, playing as D.Va, because yeah. I, 
when you fall for a hero and you play that hero a lot, yep. it's amazing how easy it is just to go back to that hero and have a great experience, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. you know, I can play games as other heroes and I'll do all right. Mm -hmm. I'll go back to Steve and have a great game. Yeah, you know? it's never quite the same as that first hero that you that you really love, that one that you decide on as a main. You you will always go back to that, and you know, you, yeah. you, when you fall for it, you fall hard. Yep. Um, and yeah, you, you slip back into that routine, and you you just know what's going to happen. Yeah, that kind of second sense for what's going to happen while playing that hero. Definitely. And I got my I got my first uh, shot caller endorsements, and it was great because it was in a game where we weren't wearing headsets. Yeah. So it really was a case of. My, my team appreciated what I'd done in a sense that I was actually uh, making plays happen, yeah. but I wasn't telling them anything. Yeah, they which were just, is incredible. They were getting that from the way I played, yeah. so they followed it in the way that they played, and it worked out really well. And it was great because at the time I wasn't actively thinking, okay, I'm going to lead this dive onto the point. Yeah. I just thought, well, we've got 45 seconds left. I'm going to try this. I hope they follow me and we make something happen here. And luckily enough, they did. Yep. And then to receive those endorsements, it then it kind of validated my play. Sure. Because it made me feel like, oh, okay, someone recognizes what I did. It's not just me sitting in the corner thinking, oh, I did great. <laughs> it's someone somewhere else thinking, oh, that was a great play. Definitely. And that two-way interaction of you played great, have an endorsement, and yep. oh, I did okay, actually, I got an endorsement, is such a cool feeling. Yeah, and it's, it's crucial to the success of the game. It's crucial to moving Overwatch forward. Um, Overwatch has always had that little kind of voting screen at the end of a round, um, but it never really got you anything other than feeling good. I think you mentioned that in one of the previous episodes. Yeah. This really does get you something. Not only are you rewarded for endorsing people, you get some XP for endorsing That's them. That's true, yeah. You also get that uh, ranking based on your endorsements. To go back slightly to what you said before then as well, in terms of them being able to read... I'm going to call it, you know, your non-verbal communication, the stuff without using a mic. I don't particularly like to play with a mic a lot of the time. I don't often have long periods of time to play Overwatch as much as I would prefer to have long periods of time yeah. to play Overwatch. So I don't necessarily want to put a headset on or set up a headset. I just want to relax with a game. But to me, that speaks to the game's animation, to its art style, to its level design, to its hero design, that they're able to pick up on those non-verbal communication traits, those bits where you do go around to this side. Um, I've started using the built-in communication wheel a bit more, advising people yeah. on my ultimate status. That's not something that I necessarily used as much, but particularly with looking for group, particularly with more strategies forming, that's become really, really essential. If I am playing Demon, I have that bomb available, or I'm getting near to it, it's worthwhile just dropping in what my ultimate status is. So as I, as I start to move around, people are more likely to follow, they're more likely to pile in. Yeah. And it does really, really feel amazing, knowing that you're not playing with a headset, but still getting a shot caller award, because yeah. you really contributed. Yeah. It makes it, it makes the game fun. It revitalizes it. So suddenly it's like, oh, okay, I'm getting that. And you're right. The idea that you get an XP award for giving out an endorsement <laughs> as a way of encouraging you to use that Definitely. is just something. And also, I like the fact that they limit it so you can't give the endorsement to the same person within a 12-hour period. Yes, yeah. So you can't just you can't be on with your friend and just constantly give your friend the awards. Just spam it. Yeah, you've got to share them around if you're yeah. going to give them at all. And that's that's a really cool, really clever thing. Yeah, it's made me consider it a lot more. The rewards made me do it a lot more initially, uh, whereas maybe it's a feature I wouldn't have used as much. But then you start using it, you feel good because you're getting XP, you feel good because you're engaged with the community and the rest of the player base, and then it makes you consider it more because you can't give it to those same players because you have the option to give it to opposing players as well it makes you consider which three people out of six are you gonna give that award to yeah and and if i'm just gonna throw it out there 
Endorse your healers, man. Oh, Endorse yes. your healers. Think it they can need be, some things. It can be a thankless task playing support heroes sometimes. So if someone's out there and they're keeping you topped up constantly throughout a game, or if you've got a Mercy yeah. who's resing you time after time, give them an endorsement, man. It's hard work. Particularly if you're playing with a Genji. Uh, yeah, yeah. I need healing. Always. Just always needs healing. <laughs> Two seconds into the game, needs healing. Yep. So moving on from there, on into uh, a topic which you raised with me from a, a, an article that you saw yeah. the other day. Uh, is down to Widowmaker. And what we see a lot, especially in the league, yeah. but definitely in competitive play, probably more so than quick play and other game yeah. modes, is that, that jewel of Widowmakers. Yeah. That idea of each team has to have a Widowmaker, and they've got to be looking out for each other, or else one side's going to get an overall advantage. Yeah. And you saw a, a great article off the back of a conversation with a league yeah. player. Yeah, it, it actually originally came from a tweet. Um, it was Sabiobi. So Sabiobi was making the point in a tweet, and I think in a series of tweets and, and in comments with, with fans and so on, that while he can play Widowmaker very well, he really, really also enjoys playing Tracer. And increasingly, particularly over this, this season, he was being almost forced to play more Widow because he felt a lot of games where you had 1v1 Widow battles, whoever was winning that 1v1 Widow battle was really winning the whole game. And you break it down and you think about that for a minute, uh, you've got five other players on each team, six players on a side, if two of them are playing Widow, it's not really fair that their 1v1 battle is deciding the whole of the game. And to some extent, you know, we mentioned keeping the game fun, that's kind of ruining the game for some people. And the thing is, this wasn't one isolated league player making this comment. I didn't see other league players making it, to be fair, but I had a bit of a look on Reddit where I saw it originally in the Overwatch subreddit. And there was a lot of other people agreeing. They, they didn't think that this was right um, and that they were experiencing them, this themselves or they noticed it in the league. And if you've got a player of that caliber talking about something that's happening and not really being allowed to play the game the way that they want to or being allowed to play their other heroes, we're going to talk about hero diversity later, that kind of spoils the game for them a lot. Yeah, and when you come down to it, they are professionals now. Yeah, you know, this is a job. Absolutely, but it's also a game. Yeah, and if the game isn't fun to play, yeah, what's going to keep them doing it? You know, it's you hear about athletes and, and the sort of the love of their sport. Yeah, well, this is works the same way. Sure. But if you fall out of love with it because you can't play it the way that you would want to play it, it won't take long before perhaps they'll find something else to play, or Definitely. or suddenly they don't put that kind of effort in to make it, you know, say be able to play for the NYXL, who are arguably the best Overwatch League team. Yeah. And rightly so, most of their team is going on to play for South Korea in the Overwatch, Overwatch World Cup, which we'll come on to. But if he doesn't want to play it anymore, yeah. that's a massive blow, A, to him and his career, but also to the fans. Because yeah. I like seeing him play. And I, I remember there was a game, I can't remember Stage 2 or Stage 3, where he took on a game as Tracer, and he pulled something off that even the commentators were like, I don't know what he's doing. He's out of position. <laughs> he's away from his team. And then suddenly, he took out both opposing supports yeah. and just completely turned the game. Absolutely. And it was like, and he has that kind of ability. And that's a, a hero he enjoys playing and doesn't really get to play so much. Yeah. Uh, and that's that just seems crazy. And that that absolutely that 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 comes not from them doing a job. That comes from their passion and their creativity for it, from pure enjoyment. You know, I think a lot of them, even if they weren't enjoying it as much, would obviously still continue because it is a job. But we never want to see Overwatch become something that's job-like. We want to see people really at the the top of their game because they love this thing the same way that we do. Yeah. And I think for maybe people can sympathize. As soon as you you lose a little bit of passion or a little bit of joy or a little bit of love for something, it becomes very difficult to bring yourself to do it. Certainly to the same standard that you that you did previously, um, it, it really, really uh, your performance will suffer in that way. 
Now, Widow's a great hero. I, I particularly like Widow. I, I can't play her nearly as well as these guys can, uh, yeah, but yeah. I like having her in my games. I like seeing her be played. I think she's a great sniper with a lot of abilities that make her more fun to play than maybe a sniper in a different game, for example. Yeah, definitely. The fact that her sniper can suddenly become a machine gun, her grappling hook, that yeah. verticality that she has, that's a really, really special thing in a hero that you don't tend to see in other games. And, you know, even her ultimate, her infrared sight, is incredibly useful. So I don't want to see Widow oh, go yeah. away. No. I don't want to see her drop out of favor. But maybe some balancing's uh, needed. Maybe we, we need better counters to Widow. I yeah. mean, from my perspective, the only one I can really see right now seems to be D.Va being able to kind of boost at her. Yeah. Um, you've still got some DPS like Tracer and Sombra who can maybe sneak around to where her position is. But to really get up close, kind of in a grill, that seems to be D.Va's job at the minute, the same yeah. way D.Va's kind of taking on Farah quite a lot as well. Yeah. But maybe we need better counters. I don't think Wrecking Ball is, but maybe the next hero will be. Yeah. Maybe that will change slightly. Um, I don't think the other snipers can stand up to her. Yeah, because when you think about someone like... You were talking there, and my brain immediately went to, to Farah. Yeah. And then I realized, well, actually, no. Because if you're up against a good Widowmaker, and you're a Farah, as soon as you put yourself in the line of sight, you're gone. Like, yeah. that's, there's no challenge Those there. Those rockets have travel time, and she's yeah. going to hit you in the head before yeah. one of them lands. You know, I think, like, uh, uh, Reinhardt Shield those kind of things the ones that can yep. take damage from Widow but even then you've got to drop your shield at some point exactly and as I, I was watching a game earlier today actually from earlier in the, in the season and one of the things they talked about was if you're a, a Widow and you've got a shot on either a Rhine or a Brigitte yep. or a Orisa like you've got to be shooting headshots absolutely whether the shield's in front or not because eventually the shield will go down yeah and what you want is to make sure that when you are shooting one at one time, that shield's going to go down and that headshot's going to connect. Exactly. It's not going to be every time. It's not going to be as often. But you want to make sure that if you are shooting at that shield, that's where you're aiming. So yeah. that the moment it's down, boom, they're gone. So you're right. There's not a lot of counters. And I think it's it's interesting. If you look at the last two heroes that have been added, mm. you have uh, Brigitte, who's a support hero. Yeah. But she's got you know, a good chunk of health. She's got that shield. She's got quite a cool close combo weapon, which has, has a range element to it as well. Yeah. Uh, and the bash for stunning as well. Yeah. And then you've got Wrecking Ball, who is a tank, and another tank in a mech, which, although I've not had the pleasure of playing him yet, looks so really fun. cool and different enough from a hero like D.Va yeah. that when you don't think about the mech comparison as being too much a big deal... Yeah, they're, they're, they're not but, the same in any way. But then I suppose because of the fact that he has that grappling hook and he has a bit more mobility with the hero, yeah. perhaps he would be kind of a... Uh, the possibility of getting up close, like I said, with D.Va being able to charge at the Widowmaker... Yeah. Maybe that could be the way it is, but then perhaps you're right. Maybe there's another hero on the cards that will address that some other way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Stylosa, a unit lost, uh, put up a great video about how you play Wrecking Ball, how you should play Wrecking Ball. And he's very much more that, that grappling hook. Yes, it can be used for damage, but it's almost a lot more used for getting onto the point. It's mobility. It's not yeah. getting to the high places where Widow likes to hide. It's getting into the point, into the back line, slamming down with that left control, that, that kind of uh, that pile driver move and then dominating on a point with the rest of the team supporting. So I don't think he'll be much of a counter to Widow. Maybe if he catch her kind of unawares or unprepared for it, potentially. But I don't think we're going to see him being able to isolate a target like a Widow as effectively. She'll get out of there too quickly and he can't really follow, I think. And it's interesting as well because as a hero, when it comes to the health pool, yeah. she's not a particularly durable hero. Yeah. But if you're the right kind of player... Her mobility means that she can just as easily get away, yep. get healed up by a coordinated team, and then she's back in it no problem. Exactly. She can get out of the way. She can throw it on a mine that's going to keep you occupied. And again, that assault rifle, that sniper rifle can become a, uh, an assault rifle. It can become a machine gun. So if you get too close and you don't have much health, she will end you with that yeah. assault rifle very, very quickly and then zip away to be able to score some more headshots. And the thing is that we don't want 
Widow play to go away because no. you're right, she's a great hero, and it's it's quite nice. I think that when you compare her to the other snipers in the roster, you know, uh, Hanzo with no sort of scope ability. We know my feelings on Hanzo. I won't go into it too much. <laughs> he's fun to play, but still, yeah. um, you know, he's too not. Much. Damage wise and, and sort of aim wise, yeah, he's a sniper, but yeah. you don't give a scope. You don't have that kind of line of sight Precisely. thing, really. Anna is. Uh, is she a sniper? Is she a healer? I mean, yes, it's a sniper rifle, but I guess it's a hero I can't really get behind. It's, it's I think. just not the same as Widow. It's no. just not the you know, same. You, you want, when you think of snipers, you're right. In traditional other shooters, your snipers are high damage, yep. high precision. Yeah. Right? With Anna, you can just spam shots, and whether you hit your guys <laughs> or their guys, it doesn't matter. You're going to do a good sure. job. You know, with Hanzo, you got things like the Storm Arrow. You got those kind of things, which yeah. mean that even down to the ultimates, you know, uh, the um, I, I always call it Spirit Dragon because he says, "I choose you, Spirit <laughs> Dragon." Um, but the his ultimate ability, yeah. which is pretty indiscriminate, you just fire it in a direction and it kills everything in its path. Absolutely, yeah. You know, Anna has the biotic <laughs> that, that grenade. That train that rolls through town. Yeah, exactly. You know, Anna's biotic grenade either does incredible boosts or incredible damage to the team. Yep. Widows. Is is it's more of a it's more of like a support ultimate like yeah so you guess that infrasight an incredibly effective one definitely but you figure it's not one that piles in damage sure um, but she puts that on there so her her weapon has to be high damage high precision yeah and so I don't want that going away at all no but yeah it's the kind of thing where you need to find a way to to counter or else yeah. you're gonna have players who just fall a love. little bit of balance or some kind of counter because some of the best players we've seen in the Overwatch League have been. Uh, have been Widowmaker plays. They've been headshots. One of my favorite moments from the first part of the season, or maybe even the preseason, I think, maybe it was the preseason, but the first game, was Baby Bay being able to score shots on people's feet under the payload on Dorado. And the, the, the analyst asked the commentators just reacting when they had eventually understood what he'd done. Yeah. Because no one could figure it out. He was there one second, somebody dropped on the other side of the payload, and people realized he'd managed to shoot them in the foot under the payload and take them out. That's yeah. an incredible play. Yeah. Definitely requires some practice. You, you know he's tried that before. <laughs> Absolutely. He, he, Probably yeah, quite to. a bit. And you never want to see that go away, but yeah, some kind of balance, some kind of counter. Yeah. I think it's interesting as well, just, just talking about the player for a second rather than the play necessarily. Yeah. It's interesting to see that the some of the different personalities that have come out of the league. Absolutely. And you, that kind of very, very different behaviors. And yeah. it's, I, it's, I wonder, I, I don't want to generalize it. I don't want to make too many assumptions based on nationality and all the rest yeah. of it. But you have some players, and, you know, sorry to name drop Baby Bay here, <laughs> someone whose handle on, on social media is King Baby Bay and who holds himself in quite a high regard. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and, and well-deserved. He's a very good player. But obviously, one thing we learned with the shock early on was that he spent as much time dead as he did alive. So exactly. it was that kind of that's why he took a bit of a yeah. rest. Shall I, will, we say. I will defend his king title. I think Baby Bay is an incredible player, but absolutely the, the consistency wasn't there. Yeah, um, and he, maybe he he performed a bit better behind the scenes than, than in yeah. front of it sometimes. And that's the thing I think that you see. I mean, there was a there was a certain level of of, of confidence of uh, maybe bravado, perhaps Be, being about a personality really. Yeah, exactly, being somebody yeah. that you want to watch. Yeah, big personality. Yeah. And you have someone like uh, someone like Carpe, who's very quiet, very reserved, yeah. quite modest, and doesn't really. I don't know if he really he seems to see himself in the same light that everyone else does. Sure. And I'm wondering, are we going to see more of those kind of differences? And do we think there's an air of, uh, I, say, I say not to get on to nationality, but you figure you've got a lot of the American players yep. who are kind of want to be the big cheer and like, yeah, we got this, woo, like I'm great at this. And then you've got a lot of the Korean players who are far more reserved, far more, you know, you, you regularly see them at the end of the, the games, you know, bowing to each other sure. as they as they pass by and stuff. 
I'm wondering whether we're going to see a lot more of that develop, yeah. especially as the league develops more teams in other countries too, yeah. um, and we get that wider representation. Yeah, I mean, we, we're definitely going to see cultural differences as things go along. Thankfully, I think they're all going to be wonderful celebrations of culture you mentioned the bowing to the players it's one of the things that i've seen as well at the end of games and it's one of the things i love it's a very um uh, open and honest little signal from a different culture and it's wonderful to see that celebrated there particularly among teams who this must be quite a surreal experience having yeah, come definitely. all the way from korea to la to play this professionally having maybe just done it for fun in the past or done it in semi-professional tournaments um and that's a wonderful little cultural touchstone i think for those guys um we're definitely going to see those differences and you know I, I'm not an expert on career in any way um, I only know so much but I, I do think there is yeah there is an American air to a lot of the American players in terms of, of bravado and in terms of ego I think you've got natural differences in personality just between individuals as well but I think having that all be represented you know we don't want to see necessarily this become too much like traditional sports where every individual player is their own hype man and their own brand yeah. and their own their own line of merchandise and everything else we need a mixture of stuff to let them be individuals and that that in a way is a form of diversity it will allow people to identify with different players you might have very very quiet people that watch Overwatch League who really identify with Carpe and are never going to identify with King Baby Bay <laughs> yeah it was quite nice seeing uh, this weekend, seeing uh, images from, I think it was the Anime Expo. Yeah. Um, and see a lot of the players from the Gladiators who were there. Yeah. Uh, I think a number of the Shock players as well. Yeah, I believe there. so. I believe who, so. Who were the present, among other teams, I'm sure, as well. But those teams are the ones I saw most of. Sure. Really uh, getting a bit of that kind of celebrity treatment. Yeah. Which was, again, I've seen for so long have I seen traditional athletes on the cover of cereal boxes and <laughs> on newsreels and advertising trainers and all the rest of yep. it. But to see a group of, of Overwatch players getting that kind of hero's welcome and people like lining up to get autographs and get photos with yep. them and people posting excited like, oh, I saw this person you know, in the, the convention. It was great. Like that was just, that was so cool. And I think, you know, imagine the shock not, not, not the shock, but <laughs> not the shock. Imagine but the surprise the and, and there you go. Yeah, of these players who you know, some of which who have just turned eighteen. Yeah, they are in this league. Suddenly, they're they're stars uh, it's for playing a game that traditionally you would play surreal. on your own. So, yeah, they're in front of a crowd, and like that just must be just a real experience. Absolutely, I mean that that's one of the things they talked about quite a bit, particularly in preseason, is seeing how people who yeah are used to maybe playing this on their own or semi professionally go to playing in front of bigger crowds and bigger audiences. You can be an amazing player in your bedroom, but if you can't coordinate with a team on stage in front of an audience, if that gets to you, that's that's very difficult. I think in terms of, of that side of stuff, I mean for for anybody that's been to a convention. Uh, my reaction to going to a convention for the first time was was a visceral one. It was one of going, the people in this room are my people. They get me. Yeah. I remember turning to the person that I went with, uh, my, my, my girlfriend, my partner, who, who actually took me to a con for the first time and kind of going, in most rooms, 99% of people wouldn't get a joke or a reference I'd make. In this room, it's reversed. 99% of people are going to get my joke or get my reference. Yeah. So it's surreal to be the one being celebrated I assume as an athlete but I'm sure those guys have that same warm fuzzy feeling that I got from going to a con in terms of athletes being uh, being a part of the community my example for this is another San Francisco team it's the San Francisco Giants they're the baseball team you walk down any street you'll see San Francisco Giants pennants you'll see stuff in shop windows you see all of the community outreach programs and we're seeing that even with Overwatch teams they're getting involved in communities in fan events in uh, charity and other public good works. I know the Shock has done quite a bit of that. I'm sure a lot of the other teams have as well. 
but that's something that we want to see more of. Maybe on the on the nerdier side of the community, yeah. but getting involved in the city they live in. That's one of the things that's always felt special to me about the San Francisco Giants, and I hope the shock emulate their model for being involved. You just raised something there, which I uh, I saw about an hour before we met today yeah. to record this. Was it that Blizzard have finally announced the amount that was raised yes. with the Mercy Charity skin yep. that came out a couple months ago? And I know we spoke about it very. I think we spoke about it in the first episode, maybe yep. the second episode. I think that and, sounds right. Uh, and it was about the fact that they hadn't disclosed how much it was, but it was amazing to see gamers coming together to do something, something good, something, uh, something tangible yeah. and positive. And they have announced today that they raised. 12.7 million US dollars for breast cancer research That's, which is astounding it's an incredible amount so if you're out there and you're listening to this and you bought that Mercy charity skin well done you because yeah. you've helped raise a huge ton of money to fight a horrible illness yeah. and that's incredible make an incredible difference in people's lives I mean I mean, to me that, that really just says that Blizzard is the real MVP uh, yeah. they, they, they deserve that award for that outstanding outstanding contribution and you know to, to, to the entire community and the fans that, that is something that we can all be proud of yeah yeah, huge news. That's very, very cool. So we've spoken about players, and we've spoken about the rock star status that they're yeah. going to have. So now we go on to the Overwatch World Cup, Woo. where uh, being deep in the heart of football World Cup season, Sadly. and I can say I am truly bored of it, yep. um, apparently it's coming home. I've heard that 17,000 times this yeah, week. I still don't quite know what that means. No, I know that means no that they does. win. No but one does. Just... It's a collected... Dys, uh, dysphoria where no one knows what it means but everyone yeah, says it like it's like true some kind of hive mind or alternate reality exactly there's a race memory we don't know um, yeah. but we've got yeah the Overwatch World Cup coming up very very soon and what's great is a lot of the national teams have been announcing their rosters yep. uh, and what's even better than that if you're a fan of the league is that a lot of those rosters feature players who you're already going to be familiar exactly. with why wouldn't it some of the world's yep. best players right Yeah, and they've been some fantastic announcements and some really cool fan engagement uh, even with us which yep. I'll come on to. Uh, but it's really nice seeing those players out there and seeing them. I mean, I, I spoke about uh, Joe Meister being a, a player for the Fusion who yeah. I've not seen play in the league yet. I know he's part of the team. I know he runs scrims with him. I know that he's yep. involved there. But you've not seen him in the lineup for sure. a game. Yeah. But he's playing for Canada. Yeah. And that's so, so cool. And you've got other players who, as I mentioned before, with NYXL, the, the Korean national team is basically the NYXL plus Carpe. And a couple others. And that it's is like, a hell of a team. Yeah, and thinking like that's going to be quite significant. Yeah. But one of the things that I thought was quite exciting is all the players that we don't know yet. Sure. And being able to see what that's going to mean and whether that's going to mean some changes to Overwatch League Season 2. Yeah, almost definitely. You know, you've got a signing window, I think, coming up. You've got contenders coming up. Isn't that crazy to think there's a signing window for yeah. professional esports? That's amazing. Crazy. Now, I've never cared about the word or the words signing window in my life. Yep. I now care deeply, deeply, deeply about them. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. So you've got contenders coming up. You've got signing windows coming up and so on. And I really think anybody that we haven't, any names that we haven't seen play in the league we're gonna see that change pretty quickly they're gonna be playing in next season i think as well this is a really really good point or another way of looking at this um say there is a country that has players that you really liked watching in the league you suddenly have a reason to watch that country's games you might never have cared about them before to the nation of canada i do care about you very very deeply you've brought me so many wonderful things not least of all tim hortons but i probably wouldn't have necessarily followed their games as closely i'd have been more likely to watch an england game I might now really want to watch a Canada game just to see some of the players that I like watching in the league play here or for any other nation that that's true for. 
Yeah. And I think what really uh, hammered it home to me was the, the number of Scandinavian players. Yeah. Because I knew that, obviously, the Florida Mayhem are prominently all yeah, Scandinavian players yeah, on that Florida team. turns out it's based, Florida's based in Sweden. Yeah, who'd, who'd have thought, I right? know. Who'd thought? But then you see all the players who are, are um, being announced for, for Sweden and for Finland and for Denmark. Yeah. And, yeah, it's some incredible names. And I think it's just, it's going to be quite a, a different dynamic because we're so used yeah. to seeing certain teams play and we kind of know how they play. And then suddenly we're going to see, we're going to see some very, very different play yeah. from players that we think we know yeah, but actually, I, what, what are we going to say? Well, how is yeah. that going to work and out? Maybe some of them taking on different roles, using different heroes that we wouldn't have seen them play in the league as much, um, and that's going to probably bring us onto our next point quite nicely in terms of hero pool diversity. But seeing them take on a different role, maybe or a different hero or something else that we've not seen with a different group of people, um, it's all well and good being very very good at tracer. But if your teammate is a lot better at tracer than you. Uh, they're going to be playing that role a lot of the time, and you're not. So actually maybe seeing different things from some of those players that we used to. Yeah, and that's why I'm really intrigued to watch Team Korea, because yeah. you've got Sabiolbi and Carpe, yeah. who are both phenomenally good tracers and widows. Yeah. So I guess it's that idea of who's going to play who, and based yeah. on Sabiolbi's comments, I presume he's going to want to play more tracer and Probably. let Carpe take up widow instead, and yeah. that would be worth the price of mission, I think. That, that would definitely make sense to me, definitely make sense. And it's going to be great seeing those guys on the same side of the, of the, of the stage rather than on opposite sides. And I wonder then, considering matchups and considering the, the players we recognize and the players that we, we don't recognize yet, when you see a lineup like that where yeah. Team Korea is basically MYXL, Team USA is basically the Shock, do you think we're going to see a repeat of MYXL versus Shock? Or do you think that the, with the fact there's different coaching staffs and other things for the national teams, yeah. that we're going to see a, perhaps a very different outcome than we would have expected in the league? It's maybe a slightly more boring answer, but it's definitely a more practical one. I think right now, because this sport is still so young, every different competition, every different set of players, every change to the coaching staff is going to make profound differences in terms of what we see. Um, we saw that with the shock when they changed things around in kind of the second half of the season. It wasn't enough to get them in the playoffs, but we saw them really change as a team. Yeah. We've seen that with a lot of the teams. So I think any changes right now are going to make a huge difference. So yeah, absolutely. I, th I think we're going to see a different result. I'm very, very biased. I want to see the Shark. I want to see him play. So seeing yeah. a lot of their players in Team USA makes me deeply happy. Um, and But also maybe, you know, seeing how they deal with strategies of teams that don't have a presence in the league as much. You know, the, the London Spitfire is definitely a UK team, but it has a lot of Korean players, most definitely. Yeah. Seeing an England team that's maybe more heavily made up of people who spent longer in this country maybe mm -hmm. um, shout out to boombox yeah absolutely or, or players that we've that we just haven't seen in the league at all that's going to make a profound difference yeah um, everybody has their own styles i don't think any team or group of people's developed enough to really have a set style so i think that's going to be quite different and i think the structure of the world cup's designed to do that really it's designed to make it a different experience to the league otherwise why, why have two separate properties so talking about changes given that we're going to see these players in different lineups here with yep. different coaching styles and different tactics yeah i think it's worth talking about hero pool diversity yes and what that means for players who are so used to seeing as a certain hero or as a certain type of hero perhaps yep. and what we're going to see them play going forward yeah um and also what does it take to, to shift a play style like that because obviously we've spoken before about the fact that we predominantly play uh tank heroes yeah um, and we've dabbled in, in uh, DPS and we've dabbled with support, but generally we fall back to D.Va or, or tanks that we're familiar yeah. with. And it's interesting to think that there are some players that 
play wildly different heroes. <laughs> you know, there was there, I, I think I mentioned earlier there was a game in which um, EQO with a fusion played eight different heroes. Yeah, just at incredible. Once, and, that's, and that's I don't know if I can play eight different heroes. No, at no. All, you know, <laughs> maybe like half that, and probably not in a game. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. So I think that the question really is: Are we going to see? Some of the players were used to shifting that quite significantly. So with Hero Pool Diversity, Hero Pool Diversity is something that is um, incredibly unique to Overwatch. Or that's how it feels to me anyway. Maybe there are other games I've just not come across that have this to the same extent. But it feels like something that is pretty truly unique. You know, you look at other kinds of games and people pick up different play styles or maybe it's in like Counter-Strike they pick up different weapons or whatever it might be and they each have their roles on their teams you know we, we think of um, maybe even not in competitive games but in an MMO people have their different roles in their raids when they're playing World of Warcraft or whatever it might be but to have now 28 different heroes with very different styles of play yes you've got loose groups like dps and attack and support and so on but these all have very different styles of play and i don't think anybody would contest that you switch from tracer to even a mccree or somebody like that or even a sombra sombra and tracer being quite similar they still take on a very very different play style so with this being so unique to overwatch this is one of the things that's made it incredibly fun to to watch um, seeing somebody play eight different heroes that's like playing eight different video games it's like playing that's eight true. completely different games that is true, yeah. and being able to so fluidly switch between that you know we talked before about what makes MVP part of MVP for me would probably be hero pool and how diverse of a hero pool that is that shows a real mastery of the game and all of its different facets rather than just being a one trick and being able to you know to, to lock on aim very 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 quickly it shows a real mastery of it and a real skill it definitely adds to the replayability of the yeah. game because you figure you're playing this game, you get used to a hero. Although the game itself doesn't change, yeah, the way that you play it and what you can achieve while playing it is suddenly very different. Yeah, and I definitely. figure you take you take um, perhaps a couple of the, the most different heroes, someone like uh, a Roadhog, yeah, versus someone like a Farah, yeah. It requires very very different styles of play. You know, the idea that one can fly and shoot rockets, <laughs> and one is a massive ground-based tank with a shotgun. Like yep. you couldn't. Uh, those are. I can't think of two more different heroes. Yeah, it's really. Polar opposites. And the idea that if if a player can play one of those heroes really well, yeah. And the idea that they can play the other hero really well shows a real wealth of skills. Yeah. And a real um, kind of uh, fluidity to how they. Mm. Can, can make the game work for them. Yeah, they're approaching it as a whole, not as being able to play one thing. You know, I'm guilty of going back to D.Va maybe too regularly, whereas I should branch out as much. And I've tried to, to play other heroes, and I, and I do play them now and then. But I can't think of being able to have that level of, even my modest level of skill, but with pretty much all of the heroes as some of these guys can do. Um, and being able to do them so well, they really approach this game differently. They don't approach it because if they've got one hero in mind that they like, they approach it as a game and these heroes are really just tools that they can use to win. So I suppose that the question then for anybody who is newer to the game or is thinking about branching out from who they're used to playing, when we think about heroes that complement each other, what do we think the most obvious ones would be? I mean, I I think for me, my my advice for anybody just starting out would be try and pick one from each category. That would be a a first key bit of advice. A great classic combo is Pharmacy, which is a Farah and a Mercy. So if you can play either of those two roles, you can have a pretty good spot on a team. Uh, yeah. If you can play something like a Reinhardt or a Diva, you're going to do very, very well there. Um, and then you've got some of the combos. You've got things like Ana uh, and being able to boost certain heroes as well, particularly with ones like Winston and so on. Yeah. That's going to work very, very well. Yeah. I think you mentioned before, you mentioned the idea of Tracer and Sombra, who, yeah. who on paper can seem 
similar. Yeah. And I suppose are, are complementary to a degree. Sure. But you perhaps don't necessarily see a lot of Tracer players switching to Sombra. Not necessarily. I mean, we, we saw a little bit of that with, I think, Dante for the shock yeah. in, in Overwatch League, and it was highly, uh, you know, complimented and, and lauded because he'd kind of adapted to the meta and adjusted, and, you know, you had Sinatra and these other players coming and playing Tracer. But even before then, he was doing a lot more damage with, with Sombra, a hero that you'd think Tracer would do more damage than, even though they are quite similar um, and kind of adjusting. But, yeah, definitely, I, th I think particularly the meta we have at the minute, we're seeing a lot more Sombra. I'm sure we'll see a lot more Tracer and Sombra working together, maybe. Yeah. So let's finish up this episode with a talk about one of our uh, one of the terms that we hear a lot of. Yep. We've covered a few in the past, like snowballing, like peeling. Yep. So this time, let's get on to the concept of poke, poke. Or, or poke damage, as yep. you often hear it referred to. And let's talk a bit about what that actually means and what that can mean for your team if you're the one inflicting it. Absolutely. You know, uh, poke is... Again, a pretty simple idea, like a lot of these terms, but that often gets misunderstood or that often gets used in the wrong way. And actually, it's really quite important. And it's a pretty good counter to dive a lot of the time, actually. Similar to how peeling can help kind of battle against dive, this is a great way in terms of actually outright fighting it. Uh, and there's going to be different, different strategies that will counter this one as well. But poke at its core refers to doing damage without necessarily killing an enemy. In other words, if you're trying to defend a point, do you have heroes that can start to wound and kind of wing and clip and just kind of hit in some way, reduce the health points of some of these attacking heroes to the point whereby either you force them to retreat, you force their healer to do more work, not in a good way of building up an ultimate, but in terms of just to keep them alive and keep them in the game, or actually, do they end up too close to you and with too low of a health that their only real resort is to try and attack, to try and save face a little bit and try and get some claw back, some small advantage? Um, and what you end up tending to have is you end up tending to have a, a backline that can do this poke damage. They can kind of wing these targets and maybe in a more aggressive version have some tanks like a Winston or some other heroes that can leap forward in kind of a, a reverse dive in a way to finish off these targets that you've, you've clipped a little bit, that you've winged. But don't you think that there's a there's the perhaps the the risk there yep. that you are feeding support ultimates because you yeah. figure if that that hero that's a, that group of heroes is on their way on the attack yep. you do enough damage they have a mercy or a Moira who's simply topping them back up again yep. uh, is the risk there not that you're going to suddenly give their supports an ultimate to take into this fight yeah exactly and this is obviously something whereby we see strategies having to balance out none of them really being too dominant die is probably the most dominant strategy but none of them are really too dominant because they can all be counted in some way the downside to poke is that yeah maybe you are feeding these support ultimates a good team will be able to almost not run all of one strategy or all of another they'll mix them together so while you're using this kind of poke damage from some of your heroes you're also using diva and other heroes to really tear those supports down so that they can't do that healing, they can't generate that ultimate because they're being killed too quickly. Yeah. So there we are. So when you hear about someone dealing poke damage, that's just it. Giving people a little poke that they've got to deal with before they come knocking yeah, on your door. Just a little poke with a machine gun. Yeah, machine gun poke. There you go. <laughs> so I think that's about everything for this episode of Heroes Needed. So we'll catch you again next time. But if you are on the internet, which, let's face it, you literally have to be to have heard this. By definition. Uh, uh, do check us out on Twitter at Heroes Needed Pod. If you want to get in touch with us either directly, uh, I'm Olsen Prime on Twitter or on the Xbox. If you want to come and join my team, actively looking for a group. There you go. I'm a tank. There you are. Work with that. But yeah, apart from that, I guess we're going to see you next time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Richard. I'm Dave. Bye-bye.
world could always use more heroes.